Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hi, this is Latifa Alatas. I am not able to come to the phone right now, but if you leave a brief message, I will get back to you as soon as possible. Have a good day. Latifa, hey, it's Luke. I just wanted to let you know that 30 years ago this week was the release of All Hail the Queen, the debut album by hip-hop legend Queen Latifah. And I'm pretty sure your life changed pretty significantly when that came out. I just thought you'd want to know. Hope you're doing well. Talk to you soon. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 37, Seminal Scenes and Coming Attractions. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, November 11th, 1989. Hello, friends. Welcome, as always, to 30 Pop. We're finally, slowly but surely, making our way out of the pop culture lull that was the fall of 1989. And over the course of the next seven weeks, as we make our way to the end of the year and decade, we'll get to reminisce on the release of several truly iconic films, TV shows, songs, and albums, as well as a notable celebrity birth or two. I'm looking at you, Taylor Swift. With regard to movies, we have several big releases coming up next week. If you found yourself in a movie theater 30 years ago today, most likely to see Look Who's Talking, here are some of the trailers you might have seen in the coming attractions. In 1938, the nights belonged to Harlem. The place to be was Club Sugar Ray's. The man to know was Quick. Now when you see Quick, I suggest you guys make plans to go elsewhere. I ain't afraid of going up against Smalls or Calhoun. That's because you're young. (laughs) Come on! Full of vigor. I work for Mr. Calhoun. What kind of work do you do? Whatever's required. What would a woman that fine want in a big, fat, nasty, greasy, 12 sandwich eating? What does she want with it? Oh, she likes fat guys. Eddie Murphy, (laughs) Richard Pryor, Red Fox, Danny Aiello. It's nice to meet you. Michael Lerner, Della Reese, Jasmine Guy. I'd like to go upstairs. Arsenio Hall. Oh, quick as mine. <laughs> Gotta stop overreacting. Overreacted? Harlem Nights. I thought I was the only person who slept with his guns under the pillow. Look at that little gun. Oh, look at me. For over 50 years, Walt Disney has turned classic stories into classic animated motion pictures. Now the tradition continues as one of the world's greatest stories becomes the newest Disney motion picture classic. The Little Mermaid. I want to be where the people are. 
I wanna see, wanna see them dancing. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun. It's the story of Ariel, a beautiful young mermaid who wants to become human. He's very handsome, isn't he? I don't know, he looks kind of hairy and slobbery to me. Not that one. The other one. And she'll strike a bargain with a powerful sea witch. Have we got a deal? To make her dream come true. What I want from you is... Your voice. My voice? You've got it, sweet cakes. You've been turned into a human. Have you lost your senses completely? The human world, it's a mess. Now, the Little Mermaid is exploring the mysteries of her strange new world. What's your name? What's wrong? You can't speak? But to regain her voice, the sea witch's spell must be broken. Move it! We got an emergency here! Broken by the kiss of true love. Kiss the girl. It's Walt Disney Pictures' 28th full-length animated motion picture, featuring dozens of delightful new Disney characters and seven magical new songs. This holiday season, share the wonder and magic of a very special entertainment event. A fantastic adventure above the waves and under the sea. Under the sea! Under the sea! When the sun begins to the Walt Disney Pictures, The Little Mermaid. Don Bluth, the acclaimed director of two of the most popular animated films of all time, An American Tale and The Land Before Time, now takes you on his most magical adventure ever. All dogs go to heaven. But only one dog ever came back. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Hi. Will you shut up? I'm alive. Charlie, it's really you. The story of a canine con artist with a second chance at life who became a little girl's only chance for happiness. I'm an orphan. A little girl who talks to animals. Could you please tell me which one of you is going to win today's race? All dogs go to heaven. Featuring the voices of Vic Tabak. This is strike two. You're out. Charles Nelson Riley. No way, boss, boss. I get one more strike. Dom DeLuise. I can't help it, Charlie. I itch when I'm nervous. Lonnie Anderson. Hello, Charlie. And Burt Reynolds as... Charlie. You were the best friend I, I ever had. You'll help me find a mommy and daddy? I promise. Oh, Charlie. <laughs> All dogs go to heaven. Here we go! I don't want to have to kill you. Don't you threaten me, Drum Eatington. Drum would never, ever point a gun at a lady. Your husband is a boil on the butt of humanity. TriStar Pictures presents... Well, this is it. You're finally rid of me. Sally Field. Oh. I think you'd be back every now and then. Dolly Parton. Louie brought his girlfriend home, and the nicest thing I can say about her is all of her tattoos are spelled correctly. I miss Ugh, leave me alone. Shirley MacLaine. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. 
Daryl Hannah. Miss Drew, I swear to you that my personal tragedy will not interfere with my ability to do good hair. Olympia Dukakis. Looks like two pigs fighting on the blanket. <laughs> Julia Roberts. I'm gonna make you very happy. I want a child of my own. Your poor body has been through so much. Why would you deliberately do this to yourself? Diabetics have healthy babies all the you time. You are special, Shelby. Time <laughs> has made them close. Life She's gonna have a baby. Go get a doctor. has made them friends. <laughs> Steel Magnolias, the funniest movie that will ever make you cry. All of those movies were released over the course of this coming week in 1989, so we'll revisit them on next week's episode. As for this week, though, the number one film at the box office for the final week was Amy Heckerling's Look Who's Talking, starring the amazing Kirstie Alley, Bruce Willis, and John Travolta. And today, after weeks of pushing it back, we're finally going to dig into it a bit. I invited several folks to be a part of this conversation, but almost without exception, every person I asked remembered loving the movie 30 years ago, but hadn't seen it again since. They all remembered the general premise of the show, but did not remember the details. I rewatched it this week for the first time in easily 25 plus years, and I still just loved it so much. So I finally convinced one of my forgetful friends, semi-regular 30 Pop guest Stephanie Konvichka, to rewatch the movie so that we could chat about it. Here's our conversation. Stephanie, welcome back to 30 Pop. It's been a while. It has. I'm so excited to be here. I know, because this is one of your all-time favorite movies, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, not really. I'm, no, okay. I'm going to fake my way through this. <laughs> it's a great movie, and I think you'll agree to that, right? Like you rewatched oh, it yeah. over the last five hours or so? <laughs> <laughs> Most of it, yeah. That's good enough. Okay, so we're talking about Look Who's Talking, at least... 30 years ago, October 13th, 1989, and this is its final week as the number one movie at the box office. And I genuinely believe this is like one of the most underrated rom-coms to come out of at least 1989. Agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I wouldn't have thought that until I rewatched it today. <laughs> yeah. Well, what'd you think? So, I mean, just in general or like... Yeah. So like when I reached out to you earlier in the week, you sort of vaguely remember it. You're like, I'm sure it holds up fine. I don't really know. And then you watched it today. How has your opinion changed? Oh, it definitely holds up. Like the humor's there, just the quality of the humor, I guess. It just, you know, it's not one of the... I mean, other than let me talk about set design and clothing. Oh, so late 80s, but... <sighs> Other than that, like the quality of the film itself, it still holds up. Absolutely. So cute. I think so too. So I rewatched it earlier this week. And this is a movie that like I did remember really well. And I remember loving, I don't know why I was watching this movie <laughs> at nine years old. But, I don't either. But I remember loving it even then. And I was reminded as I watched it this week of why that is. Two reasons that I'm going to share. The first is John Travolta. So John Travolta has become a bit of a caricature of himself, I think. I mean, he's kind of this just – there's just so much weirdness around John Travolta. And when I rewatched this this week, I was just like, oh, my gosh. There was a time when John Travolta was so cool, and this was it. This mm -hmm. was primetime John Travolta. Well, so – but it also I think there's like – a type of character he plays really well that like he probably should have just stuck with and i think the character he played in this movie was that kind of guy like that affable 
lovable, still cool, but like just really likable guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's like comedic timing, but it's not welcome back Cotter. I mean, it's like, he's, he's funny in the film, but he's like also totally believable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he's like a really nice guy. I mean, he's, there's a little bit of like kind of chauvinism, but I think that was just sort of reflective of the late eighties and New York, but like, oh, yeah. but it's like endearing with him. It's like, he's, he's actually a really, really great guy and a great father to, even though he's not the father, you know? So maybe what we should do just in case people don't remember the movie, this is a film where, Kirstie Alley plays a woman named Molly who gets pregnant by a married man, tells everyone that she was artificially inseminated. And when she goes into labor, she flags down a cab driver. And that cab driver is John Travolta's character who rushes her to the hospital, stays by her side while she gives birth to a baby named Mikey whose <laughs> internal dialogue is all there for us to hear. And it's Bruce Willis, and he's super sarcastic and funny and ridiculous. And one of the things that so I love, great. you mentioned just sort of like set design and stuff and how late 80s it was. The other thing I love is that this was before filmmakers started like CGing lips on babies and making them talk, you know? It's mm-hmm. just like the Milo and Otis type movies where all we hear is this internal dialogue and we are left mm-hmm. to sort of sync it up with the faces this actual baby is making. And I love that. It's so simple and so sort of innocent. And it just sort of makes for really great comedy that's not, you're not distracted by mm-hmm. these just ridiculous special effects. Well, no. And I think that's what makes it so great is you really cue in on the nonverbals of the baby to try to connect that and so it just, it works really well. So speaking of special effects, I would say the entire special effects budget for this movie went into the <laughs> opening and closing scenes. And this was the other, this was the number two reason why I remember loving this movie. Why don't you, for our listeners, just talk us through what's happening in that opening and closing scene? <laughs> I actually feel like you should do that. I would Luke, much rather you do that. So <laughs> if you could just do that, that'd be great. I mean, it's just the basic biology of what happens when a man and woman have intercourse and she becomes pregnant. So, like, there's the whole swimming thing that happens. But they, if I remember right, I literally just watched it. I can't remember. Maybe I put the voices in. Were all the sperm talking? Yes. Like, okay, they were. Okay. I thought. I remember that. Correctly. I mean, the main thing like you're hearing just, is oh, Bruce Willis leading the charge. Yeah. Like, like, oh, we're going to make it. Where are we going? Like all this kind of like, and then like when he actually breaks through the surface of the egg, like it's almost too much. It's, it really, like you're actually rooting for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, but I will say. Oh, there was electricity too. Yes. Can I interrupt that? The actual <laughs> conception is he, he arrives <laughs> At his new home and all sorts of electricity happens and then you have a baby. Yes. (laughs) This scene comes to mind for me and has for 30 years now every time I find out a friend is pregnant. (laughs) And I didn't really consciously realize that until I rewatched it this week. And it's like, oh, that's that scene that replays in my head every time a friend tells me they're pregnant. Which makes me wonder, did you find it traumatizing as a child or was it just like that integral of an experience for you. I I mean, I think this scene saved my parents from having to have the talk with me. This is how I learned. This sounds like a horrible word to say, but it feels like a seminal kind of experience. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> my gosh. Did you plan that? No, I did. <laughs> no. That was good writing. You're going to come work for Milieu Media Group. That was amazing. (laughs) Yes, it was a, it was that sort of moment. I think for me that that scene (laughs) stuck with me. The whole movie, though, I mean, really, it is. So it was written and directed by Amy Heckerling. And Amy Heckerling, do you know who she is? I don't know. Okay, so she's also the person who wrote and directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, like legally, legally blonde, no clueless. I mean, she's brilliant. Like she is truly a comic genius as a writer and director. And it's funny because she's not like a household name, but like she's done some Mm -hmm. real classic comedy movies. Yeah. And this is no exception. Like there's one scene in particular that I completely forgot about, but I love where when Molly is giving birth, she asks for an epidural (laughs) and they tell her it's like too late for an epidural. You don't need it. And she sort of goes into this like possessed demon <laughs> voice. voice. Yes, and it's the only scene like that in the movie. It's so give me the effing drugs. I think is what she says. But you don't even know if it happened because it just keeps going. Yeah, and you're like, did that actually really happen? Yes. It's so good. And then there's also these kind of like flashback scenes where she's imagining, you know, there's one where she's imagining a conversation with the baby's actual father and his head just mm-hmm. explodes. <laughs> you know, he says something like, if I can't kiss you, I'm, you know, I'm going to explode. And then he does. And then you realize she's just imagining this. But like, it's like, man, it is so. Amy Hegerling is fantastic. She's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Such a good movie. I also, Sorry, I you know, I don't remember remembering all of this. I don't remember like loving Kirstie Alley ever as an actress. I mean, I, you know, I liked her on Cheers fine, but she was always a little bit obnoxious. She's really really great in this. I mean, her acting is like spot on. She crushed it. Well, and I think maybe it's just like the right type of character for her. like it's a kind of a strong independent woman, like, you know, career woman. But obviously, like, she wants this romance with this man she can't have, and then she gets pregnant. And so, like, you see all this vulnerability, but also, like, she's making this happen. Like, she's going to have this baby on her own. And I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like it was the right character for her to play. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. There's, you know, this great sort of montage of her going on random dates with just horrible, Mm -hmm. horrible guys. And it's just so funny. Such a great movie. I don't know how the sequels really held up. You know, this movie ends with another scene of her conceiving and the baby in Mm -hmm. that scene. I guess it ends with her actually giving birth to a little girl who's voiced by Joan Rivers. Mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, in the sequel, that baby was voiced by Roseanne Barr. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that. Yeah, I really think it is. There, How many sequels? There were like... I think there were two. So three movies and Baby Talk, the series, which wasn't... Uh... Mikey, it was a baby named Mickey, but it was, I mean, it was still Amy Heckerling, I think, did that also. Uh-huh. And I don't think that made uh-huh. it very far. But yeah, three movies. And I think the third movie is like dogs talking or something. I don't remember. <laughs> See, they just need to stop, like maybe after two. Like if you're going to do two, just stop after two. Yeah. You know, like don't go any further. But so I also wonder was like this kind of that beginning of that thing with baby. So I like, I kind of go to Allie McBeal in my head with the dancing baby. It seemed like for a while in like the 90s, there was a thing with babies. Am I wrong? I have no idea. (laughs) 
Okay. I really, I, don't know. I really don't. I feel like this was the beginning of that. I mean, I guess so <laughs> because I'm I mean, there was you know, like I said, there was three movies and this series of Baby Talk, mm-hmm. so there was a whole lot yeah. of that type of content, and it was just there was also just a whole lot of these, like I said, like Milo and Otis, and, and you know, all, yeah, all of these sort true. of non-verbal characters. Non-verbal, yeah. Yeah. So look who's talking now. I'm looking it up now. That's the third one, and it introduces <laughs> two dogs, voiced by Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. So they had big actors and actresses in this. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, and John Travolta and Kirstie Alley were still in it for all three movies. <laughs> well, okay. Hold on, though. Let's talk about Bruce Willis. We haven't talked about him. Yeah. You know, we don't see a lot of Bruce Willis, the comedian, post-moonlighting. But this is like mm-hmm. one great example of his range as an actor. And it's just like you get the smirkiness in his voice when he talks and the enthusiasm of like every new experience or seeing something for the first time. Like he just, I don't know, he was perfect for Mikey. I absolutely loved him. Yeah. Oh, so good. Like I said, I think this is one of the more underrated movies. I wouldn't say series of movies. I don't know that I care for the trilogy no, necessarily. No. I think the second one was kind no. of funny. I mean, Roseanne was still sort of relevant at the time. <laughs> Why do people get so weird? Like you think about John Travolta got weird. Kirstie Alley got a little weird after all of this. Roseanne got real weird. She continues to be weird. <laughs> I just had a moment of, is she still alive? But yeah, I guess she is. Her career, on the other hand, not so much. Not, not so much anymore. Oh, that's well, unfortunate. Is it? I don't know if it is, but it's fine. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, she's unfortunate. Let's say. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. All right. Well, Stephanie, thanks. It's always such a joy to have you on, and I just appreciate your comedic timing on this particular episode. <laughs> this is what happens when you catch me later in the day. I'm yeah. a little tired. <laughs> Next time we're going to get you later in the day and you'll have alcohol in your system. It'll be great. Yes, it'll be perfect. <laughs> All right, friend. Thanks. We'll talk to you again next time. Okay, bye. That was a fun one. Huge thanks to Stephanie for bearing the burden of describing that scene that proved to be so formative to my adolescent imagination. Apologies to all of my friends who now know where my mind went when you shared the good news of your respective pregnancies, and to those who will share in the years to come. You can blame Amy Heckerling. Now on to other pop culture fun from this week in 1989. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this week marks 30 years since the release of rapper-slash-actress Queen Latifah's landmark debut album All Hail the Queen. This record made a huge splash in the hip-hop world and was certified gold, selling over half a million copies by the middle of 1990. Thirty years later, it remains a staple on all kinds of lists of the most influential hip-hop albums of all time, which is somewhat unsurprising to true fans of the genre, as it features such artists and producers as De La Soul, KRS-One, Moni Love, and Prince Paul, each of whom is a bit of a legend in their own right. While most folks know Queen Latifah more as an actress today, she legitimately helped pave the way for acts like Missy Elliott, Nicki Minaj, and Cardi B. And she really helped carve out a new space for feminism in the rap world. A world which did, and unfortunately often still does, perpetuate a culture of misogyny. This was an important album from an important artist. It was not the number one album in the country, though. Predictably, another important album from another important female artist was still holding strong at the top. Rhythm Nation 1814 from pop legend Janet Jackson. The number one single for the first of a two-week run was When I See You Smile from English-American rock quintet Bad English. 
a band comprised of former members of then-recently-defunct band Journey. A band comprised of former members of then-recently-defunct bands Santana and Frumious Bandersnatch, which has no relevance to this episode whatsoever. I just really wanted to say Frumious Bandersnatch. Lastly, in the news 30 years ago this week, on November 7, 1989, lawyer, politician, and author David Dinkins became the 106th mayor of New York City, as well as the first and to this day only African-American to ever hold that office. And that just about does it for this episode. Friends, thanks so much as always for listening and for sharing this show with other folks. If you're in the Houston area, be sure to join me next Tuesday night, November 19th at 7 p.m. for 30 Pop Trivia Night at Cafeza. As always, it's guaranteed to be a fun and hopefully super competitive night. And speaking of Trivia Night, Huge congratulations to my scorekeeper for the event every month, Dylan Brown, and his sweet wife, Shada, who gave birth to their very first child this week. I love you people, and I'm so excited for you, and I'm sorry once again for where my mind went when I heard that you were pregnant. Congrats, friends. Lastly, happy 40th birthday to my lifelong best friend and regular 30 Pop guest, Nathan Schartz. I'll be back next week with episode 38, looking back at the classic Steel Magnolias. But until then... Know this, sometimes I want to give up. I want to give in. I want to quit the fight. And then I see you, baby, and everything's all right. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Prawner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. If you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.